This week at Hope Point. And all of these people in Revelation are brought together by one common reality and one common purpose. The common reality is they've all been cleansed by the blood of the slain lamb and their all common purpose is to honor the lamb as the king of their life. So in all of their diversity, there is a oneness. But this is authentic diversity when there's many different kinds of people yet brought together by one purpose, Jesus. We're so glad to have you join us for today's message. We pray that it would challenge and encourage you to applaud God, follow Christ, and live on mission. Let's listen to what Richard has to say to us from Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5 is composed of 428 words. I managed in my sermon last week to turn that into 4,984 words. So I'm really not very efficient. I added nine words to every one that was already there. And believe it or not, I'm not ready to move on to chapter 6. I want to visit again in chapter 5 because I believe there's a special enjoyment of Jesus Christ still remaining in the verses that I was unable to get to Last week, if you weren't here last week and you said, I just want to catch me up very quickly, I would say in four statements, this is Revelation 5, the lion became a lamb, the lamb became a sacrifice, the sacrifice ransomed man, and man will reign with the lamb. In Revelation 5, every time you see the words lion or lamb, it's a reference to Jesus Christ in his sovereignty as lion and also in his suffering as lamb. Revelation 5 begins with a dilemma. Uh, God is on his throne and has in his hand the instruction manual for how history will end. It's referred to as a scroll, but it's just really the end of history. And they're looking in all of heaven for somebody to open it so that we can move on to the kingdom to come and the kingdom of heaven and it looks as if there is no one who's able or no one who is worthy to open it. And the Apostle John, who was once a pastor in the city of Ephesus and now exiled as a prisoner on the island of Patmos off of Turkey, has this transformational experience of going to heaven and watching all of this play out. And he's very sad when he sees that history is not going to end. Uh, that the, the oppression and violence and evil and perversion continue to dominate earth and there's nobody to bring it to an end. And then he sees an answer that thrills his heart. This is what he felt like as he writes to us. Verse 1, Revelation 5, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. That's the end of history. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open that scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed and he is able to open the scroll and it's seven, seven seals. You know, last week when we were, when we were going through this um, book, um, you know, you might have been interested in, in this question of who's worthy to open this. And, and I wanted to visit it again today because I was puzzled by it. In fact, 
There were four things that I saw this week as I went back through the text that caused me to marvel at Jesus Christ in Revelation 5 in a way I didn't see last week. So we're going to look at four ways while we marvel at Christ. And the first one is because of this scroll. We marvel that Christ alone could open the scroll. Now, when you were sitting here last week, I mean, I was thinking about it, but I knew I didn't have time to talk about it. I mean, God has the scroll in his hand, which is going to unleash the events that wind up history. Why couldn't he open it? I mean, were you thinking that? I was thinking that. It's your scroll, God. But there's a reason that he can't, and there's a, it's, it, the part of the answer is in chapter 5 itself. At, and at the end of chapter 5, well, you know, when he said no one was worthy, and then we look in chapter 4, Lord, you're worthy, you should be able to open. But God says in, at, in the end of chapter 5, it's a, it's a hint to why he can't open it. The promise that's inside this scroll is to you and me. That there will be a day in the future where you and I will reign on earth that arrogant people and violent people and deceptive people and all the powerful people that are in charge. They're no, no longer going to reign on earth, but we uh, will be blessed to reign over the earth. It's just a great thing. Well, interestingly enough, this is not the first time this promise was made in the Bible. The very first chapter of the Bible contains this very same promise to Adam and Eve. So God created mankind in his own image, Genesis 1.27. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. And then he said, the earth, fill the earth and subdue it and rule over it. So from the beginning of history, it has been the intention of God for man to rule in righteousness over all the earth. Well, you know, right after God made that promise to Adam and Eve in chapter 1, it was only two chapters later that Adam and Eve gave away their authority. They yielded their lives to Satan, and they gave up the authority to rule the earth. And so from that point on in Genesis 3 all the way to here in Revelation 5, mankind has not been able to rule the world in righteousness. And so the reason why God could not open the scroll is because the promise was made to man. And therefore, man is the only one who can solve and be the recipient of the promise. That's why God can't open the scroll in Revelation. It's given to man, and man has botched his opportunity to open the scroll because he's yielded his life not to God, to Satan. And so this raises this huge dilemma in Revelation is only a man who is perfect and obeyed God on all things can open the scroll. That's the answer. If the promise was made to a man, then it's got to be a man who delivers and walks up and opens that scroll. Problem is there's no man who could do that. There's no man who's ever lived perfectly, and then there's no man up to the, you know, in, in, the, in the dilemma of history that's not only lived perfectly, but died for imperfect people. And this is why... I think you can't really understand Revelation 5 without going to discover who this man is that will solve this. We're told a lot about him in the book of Hebrews chapter 2. For this reason, speaking of Jesus, he had to be made like them, like people, fully human in every way in order that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. So the problem in Revelation 5 is there's not a man who's ever lived perfectly and there's not a man 
who could die for imperfect people until you come to Jesus Christ in Hebrews chapter 2. This is why he had to be made like us in every way. Only a man could die for men. And only a perfect man could die for imperfect men. And that's why the writer of Hebrews also tells us he was tempted in every way just as we are without sin. So when you begin to grasp this trauma that in the, in the hand of God is the scroll that releases the end of history for which we, every Christian longs for this oppression to be over. But nobody can open it because it, the promise was made to a man and now we have to have a man to come and do it. Now you appreciate what John sees in Revelation chapter 5. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slaughtered. Standing at the center of the throne, he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So finally we see that there's somebody, a lamb, not a lion, that is able to take the scroll. The lamb being a reference to Jesus Christ, as we saw in Hebrews, fully human, fully perfect, and without. 100% humanity, 0% sin. Unbelievable. And he walks up and takes this takes a scroll. Now we did note last week that in the book of Revelation, the word lamb is a key concept in, in this, not just Revelation 5, but the rest of the book. The concept of the word lamb is used 28 times in the book because in all of the Old Testament sacrifices, when God said, my people have sinned and, and a sacrifice has to be given, the only sacrifice that was acceptable for the forgiveness of sins was the slaughtering of a lamb. And this is now why we see who Jesus is. He's the perfect human sacrificed like a lamb. 28 times Revelation references the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And look at the power when this lamb was sacrificed. Look at the power of his death. They cry out in Revelation, you're worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. It's a very powerful death. But look what was required for this, for this to happen. In order for this scroll to be opened, the blood of this lamb had to be shed for the purchasing of humanity from all the tribes and languages and tongues of the earth. Listen, if you don't understand who God is, you'll never understand what sin requires. When you think about God looking at sin, think about a physician looking at an infected wound. That physician doesn't say, oh, I should feel gross, or I, that should be smelly to me, or that is deadly. He doesn't have to drum any of that up. It just is because of who he is. He knows that this wound that's infected is the opposite of everything that is healthy. So when God, who is holy, 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 sees sin, he knows it is the opposite. It is vast opposite of everything that God is. And the only antidote, the only antibiotic for this infected wound called sin is the blood of Jesus. It's like if God is holy, then he understands sin is so severe, my son must bleed 
for the forgiveness of sin that man would be right with God. I ran across a very interesting um, concept this week. Uh, I didn't know this existed, so I read, really spent the majority of my week learning about this. In traditional Chinese writing, before it got to be a little bit more abbreviated, in traditional Chinese writing, this is the character uh, for the word righteousness. This is the word yi in, um, in Chinese. And it's made up of, the word concept of righteousness is yi, is made up of two Chinese symbols. The, the symbol on top is the symbol of a lamb. The symbol on the bottom is a symbol that means me. So the word righteousness in, in traditional Chinese means a lamb over me. Now, what makes this interesting is how it was derived, why they put these two symbols together to form this. When Chinese soldiers used to go to war, they, like all soldiers, believed they were fighting for a just cause, a just war, a righteous war. But in order to gain God's blessings and that this would be a righteous war that he would bless, they would offer a lamb as a sacrifice to a God that they didn't even know. And so they would ask God, when he would see the blood of this lamb, that he would declare their cause to be righteous. It's amazing that God was sneaking in, even in this, this massive language, the understanding that only when the blood of the Lamb of God in Revelation 5 is spilled over us are we made righteous. So this is why we marvel at the Lamb. This is why we marvel at Christ in Revelation is because He alone could shed blood that would make us right with God. We have a Lamb over us. The second reason that we marvel in Revelation over Christ is our salvation from sin was made possible because God is a glorious trinity. Now, I can't explain the word trini the concept of trinity to you. I can tell you what it is. We worship one God who is three persons. That's just the the word trinity is not in the Bible. The three persons are all over the Bible. Jesus Christ said, whenever you're baptized, make sure you recognize the three persons of the Trinity. Even in the baptism in Matthew 28, 19, he said, baptize everybody in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So you might be asking today, you've come to church, it's, you know, it's, it's 10 o'clock or 1030 and you, know, you need things for your life. Why is it important to talk about the Trinity on a Sunday morning? Why does it matter that God is more than one person? That's your question, would be my question. Why does it matter? We'll even go here. Here's why it matters. The only way we could be saved from sin is if God were an omnipotent king and a crucified man at the same time. Now, how do you pull that off? Remember what the elders said about Jesus in Revelation chapter 5? They said, look. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep, see the lion. So here Jesus Christ is called a lion, yet we've just spent the first half of the sermon talking about him as a lamb. 
This is the stunning theme of the book of Revelation. The one who was slaughtered like a lamb is actually a mighty lion. And so, matter of fact, later in the chapter, we can see the two persons of the two, two of the persons of the Trinity are equated. Well, let me just make sure, let me just say this first. The theme of Revelation is that the unconquerable lion became a sacrificial lamb. The king of kings died for the citizens of his kingdom. This is the theme of Revelation. The unconquerable lion became a sacrificial lamb. Revelation 5, 13, to him who sits on the throne. Look how they're equated. To him who sits on the throne, that would be God the Father, and to the Lamb. Look, both of them are praised and gloried and given worship for their power forever and ever. Two distinct persons right here. So the theme of Revelation, or the question of Revelation, how could God be king on his throne and nailed to a cross at the same time. That's the trauma in chapter five. And the answer is he did it because he's a trinity. He was the father on the throne and the son on the cross at the same time. Mankind needs God to be more than one person if there will be eternal hope for the world. Listen, you get you hear this. Mankind needs God to be more than one person if there's going to be true and eternal hope for the world. What do I mean by that? Nobody explains this better than Kevin DeYoung. As you look for meaning in your life, consider this. A God that is only a lion or only a lamb is only half the God that you need. Think about it. You hurt and you suffer, so you need more than a king to rule over you. But you also lack wisdom and direction, so you need more than a tender hand to comfort you. You sin and you struggle, so you need a lamb who can deal with the guilt that you feel. You sin and you struggle and you need a lion who can devour the evil that works in you and works against you. What good is a lion like God if he does not take care of sin and he rules only by his roar? And what good is a lamb like God if he does not triumph over sin and deal with the wrongs in the universe? We need God to be a trinity if the problem of sin will be solved. Number three, we marvel how the sacrifice of one led to the salvation of many. Jesus Christ is praised in Revelation because of the effectiveness of the, the broad width coverage of his death. You're worthy to take the scroll to open its seals because you were slain, saw that. With your blood you purchased for God. And then look at what the purchase did. You purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. I saw, I saw Steve Shermer out in the lobby a moment ago. He'd just come back from the Middle East. And I am so grateful 
that when Jesus Christ died 2,000 years ago, when his blood hit Calvary's ground, he made it possible for anyone in the Middle East to be saved. That's what it says. Every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. This is an amazing thing for one death to lead to many possible victories. Because normally when you think about history, you think about courageous men and women dying valiant deaths, but oftentimes their death just affected a few people. Like a soldier, he might give his body to lay on top of a grenade, but probably he's just going to save one or two friends next to him. Probably not the entire troop, probably not the entire army that will face later battles. But Jesus Christ, in the one giving of his life, was able to do something that affected people who live in every village in India. There's 500,000 of them. And throughout the Middle East and all the language and all the tongues, all the villages and cities of the world. I mean, this is a fairly diverse group of people that's mentioned here. Every language, I think there's over 5,000, maybe near 6,000 languages in the world now. And every tribe, every village, every town. I mean, it's really hip and cool in our generation to talk about diversity. It's a big word. It's a power word right now. Into diversity. It's real hip and cool to talk about everything needs to be diverse. People think they're, they feel like they've come up with this novel idea of diversity. Listen, you're not going to get any more diverse than God. He loves diversity. He loves cultures and languages and skin colors and education backgrounds and different finance levels and life experiences. And all of these people in Revelation are brought together by one common reality and one common purpose. The common reality is they've all been cleansed by the blood of the slain lamb and their all common purpose is to honor the lamb as the king of their life. So in all of their diversity, there is a oneness. This is the only kind of diversity that God, or this is authentic diversity when there's many different kinds of people yet brought together by one purpose, Jesus. That's when diversity is holy and every other kind of diversity is phony. I mean, we're told so often that we are, it doesn't really matter what you believe, how you live, we can all be one as a diverse group of people. The Bible doesn't know anything about that kind of diversity and oneness. The type of diversity that, that honors God is when vastly different people come together, like here on Sunday morning, to worship Christ. Diversity, biblical diversity, does not occur when we interact with other people so we can be changed by their religion or changed by their morals. That's not diversity. Diversity is when we come together and we are all changed by Jesus the person and the morals of a holy God. That's diversity that honors, that honors God. 
chapter or, or verse 9 definitely lets us know that God is an international God. He is after all of the nations. He's pursuing people from all the nations of the world. And this is a blessing that this verse is in our Bible because it was not always this, this case. In the Old Testament, you could not make a strong argument that God participated in being involved in many nations except Israel. In fact, he told them when they received the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai, for most of my dealings here in the Old Testament, it's going to be you, Israel. He said this in Exodus 19, out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you, Israel, will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So there were prophets who prophesied in the Old Testament that the kingdom of God would be larger than Israel, but not until Jesus Christ shed his blood and released his Holy Spirit did we see the gospel go global. But it has in the book of Revelation. And matter of fact, we got a little taste of that in the book of Acts. Check this out in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2 is really a foretaste of Revelation chapter 5. This was 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead. Look what was beginning to happen, happen with the globalization of the gospel. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the house where they were sitting. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So you have the apostles gathered in Jerusalem, and all of a sudden all of them knew the languages of the world. Why? Because in Jerusalem all the languages of the world were there. For a holiday. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. We hear the apostles declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Well, what it means is that the promise of Revelation 5 is now put in place. That the gospel is beginning to spread throughout all the languages and tribes and villages of, of the world. You know one thing I love about, about Revelation chapter 5, Acts chapter 2, is <clears throat> I, think, I think when you come to Revelation 5, let's see if I can go back there. Let's see, well, this is going to be a little frustrating for you. But you got persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You know, God loves culture. He invented it. He decided where everybody was going to live, what culture, the types of culture they're going to have. I don't think we have any evidence to believe in Scripture that it's going to be anything different in heaven. God loves culture. He loves languages. He loves life experiences that people have gained in their homeland. And so I think in heaven... What you're going to have is you're going to be surrounded by uh, Japanese people and Chinese people and Koreans, those from Vietnam, Australia, Indonesia, India, Zimbabwe, Ethiopia, Libya, Egypt, Russia, Ukraine, Poland, France, England, Peru, Venezuela, Mexico, America, Canada. And we're all going to have a common language of the worship of Christ. And yet we're going to look crazy different. 
and yet have this holy diversity of one goal of saying thank you to Jesus for who he is and what he's done. Such God-honoring diversity will probably be our eternal joy in heaven. What I love about the diversity and the global outreach of the gospel is, I got to go through a few, sorry, is exactly how it happened. And it happened because of the release of the Holy Spirit once Jesus died. That's what we saw in Acts chapter 2, right? The Holy Spirit came upon them. That's how they were able to speak in all those languages. But we have another hint that this is going to happen in Revelation 5. Chapter 6, the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes. I just love the, don't you love the funky language? I mean, that, the writer just uses this because in apocalyptic literature, these people who received this letter, they knew what all this meant. They knew that the, the number seven meant everything, fullness, wholeness. So when he talks about the seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out to all the earth, they knew that this was a promise that the fullness of God's spirit would leave heaven and go to every corner of the earth, bringing salvation. Because up to this point in the book of Revelation, we, every time we see this phrase, the seven spirits of God, it's the seven spirits of God before the throne of God. That's where they are. The seven spirits of God are right in front of God's throne. Here, after Jesus shed his blood, the seven spirits of God go to all the earth. I mean, the spirit of God now, the third member of the Trinity is released to do the work of salvation throughout all the lands. I, mean, I love when I see these seven spirits of God, I just think of a giant, massive lake and seven rivers pouring out from that lake to all the world. The lake being the heart of Christ, the seven rivers being the seven works of the Holy Spirit traveling over dry, weary, lifeless ground and lives and saturating everybody with new hope. Imagine just, you've, you've read about these great revivals in history where there was a town that was just given over to all sorts of sin and the Holy Spirit just flooded that town with power and life and people who had never considered God were all of a sudden blossoming like new plants in the desert. I hope that you are praying daily for the seven spirits of God, for the sevenfold work of the Spirit to be released in Spartanburg for revival, to be released among the nations. I mean, I don't think you have any right now in this present time of chaos in the world to not be praying for Ukraine, to not be praying for Russia, the people of Russia. What unbelievable tension in this part of the world. And, and we're praying that the Spirit of God would work through all the chaos and all the, all the killing and <clears throat> all the pain and that the Spirit of God would send volunteers and the Spirit of God would speak to government officials. The Spirit of God would, <clears throat> would cause churches to take care of these millions of new refugees. And the Spirit of God would even go to, into places like Moscow where people are not wanting this war and it, just pray that revival would take place in, in these places where there's darkness and pain. 
Why would we not be praying that? That's, that's why Jesus died to release his spirit to the nations. Oh, the Holy Spirit wants to do so much more than our little efforts can do. I hope you were asking for the Holy Spirit to take new control of your life. You don't have to worry about, do we need a new dose of the Holy Spirit? He just needs a new dose of you. New surrender of your life. Number four, last, why do we marvel? We marvel at the intense amount of worship directed toward Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 5. Amazing. Remember how our worship started off about Jesus in Revelation earlier? It was first, it was four creatures, really odd looking creatures with four faces. They were worshiping. Then they were joined by 24 elders, some gathering of celestial beings on thrones. They started worshiping. Now the worship really gets very intense as we make our way through the chapter. Revelation 5, 11, then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. I don't know when the last time you plugged into a calculator 10,000 times 10,000, but it equals 100 million. 100 million angels. Can you imagine the power? I mean, our band does pretty good, but they're... I don't want 100 million minus. They're less. Can you imagine the power, the thunderous, exciting, thrilling power of 100 million angels along with all of the saints of history looking at the beautiful throne of God that we saw in chapter 4 and the magnificent lamb lion of chapter 5? This is where fulfillment, this is what you're going to be doing in all of eternity, joining with 100 million angels, gazing upon the perfect, beautiful, sacrifice, now sovereign, conquering lamb, lion, Savior of Revelation 5, saying thank you. This is why God gives us the rhythm of seven days. So that we work six days and on the seventh, we sort of stop everything and gather, maybe in buildings, homes, theaters, churches, parks, gather with the church around the world, in heaven, angels, a hundred million. We stop and we find refreshment for our souls in this worship. I know you've been refreshed in the singing already today. This is a foretaste of the refreshment that will be yours in eternity when this is combined with a hundred million other voices of just angels alone. So if you're not in a rhythm, <laughs> you're not in a rhythm of working six and coming to worship on the seventh, it's like you're driving past the gas pump every day and not getting refueled. This is where God re-energizes his people, the worship of Jesus Christ. And it's really cool. We already know the lyrics to the song that we're going to sing. They're listed here. They're not very complicated. Verse 12, in a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. That's the song. So you already know it. You can memorize it and be ready for it. That's it. That's our song. Now listen, when these uh, angels say, Worthy is Christ to receive this stuff. 
And they, they mentioned seven things after that. It's not like they're saying he doesn't have them now and now we're going to give them. Like worthy are you to receive power. No, they, when it says worthy to receive, it's like we are giving you with the confession of our singing what is already due you, the praise, our praise that you own these things and you let go of them in order to become a sacrifice lamb. We're praising Jesus that he's the owner. Let me say it like this. We're saying to Jesus, you have more power than all the thunderstorms and volcanoes and earthquakes of history. You have more wealth than Microsoft, Apple, Twitter, and Bitcoin combined. You have more wisdom than all the libraries, all the professors, all the doctors, and all the hard drives combined. You have more strength than all the factories and all the machines and all the weapons of the earth combined. And we give you praise, honor, and glory because there's nothing that ever occurs on earth that does not flow out of the great the great lake of your heart through the sevenfold work of the Holy Spirit. We have nothing that has not come from you, Jesus. The greatest thing, and I'll close with this, about this worship service is there will be a day truly when every, every living thing that's on earth is going to be engaged in this. This is great. This is what we're, because right now it's like God is blasphemed mocked, dishonored by most living things on earth. That's why it's hard. It's sickening. There'll be a day when all that is turned and everything on earth is praising him. Then I heard it. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Every creature, every cricket on earth rubbing his little legs together. Every robin using her voice to sing. Every hawk flapping its wings to make noise to God. Every dolphin jumping from the ocean splashing to make noise to Jesus. Every dog barking, every cat meowing, every frog croaking, every little firefly lighting up his belly to give praise to Jesus. It'll be just total righteousness, total purity, total goodness saturating the land through our praise. There is no greater privilege than coming in on this rhythmic day seven, joining with all of that to come and all that's occurring in heaven now, and singing our thank yous to Jesus. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.